Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 312 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, we're talking with Martin Lindstrom about bringing back common sense to your business. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lawmatics, Cosmolex, Text Expander, ESQ Marketing, and Postali. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. So Stephanie, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and sometimes just that and all of it being out of our control can affect your entire day if that's how you start the day or if kind of the anxiety or stress or thinking about it feeds over from another day. And I know that starting out in the morning differently can have a big impact on how you feel throughout the day and kind of set the tone. You set the morning with a specific ritual to kind of help with this. Can you tell me a little more? Yeah. So I like to start my day every day by naming three things that I'm grateful for. So it's super simple, um, but it can have a huge impact. And there's actually a lot of really cool research around gratitude and why having like a gratitude practice can improve your health, improves your mind, improves your soul. I don't know. It's good. (laughs) I love it. And I I think sometimes we can overlook these simple things. It's like, oh, well, is that really going to change the way that I feel or how I approach whatever's coming after I do this morning ritual? Because it's such a small thing. How have you felt that it can shift your mindset just doing this action? Is it the fact that it's you do it every day? Is it just carving out the couple of minutes for it? I'm curious because I know my natural resistance would be like, oh yeah, sure. I could do that. But is that really going to have that big of an impact? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's easy, right? And it's just nice to remember the things that we do have that are going well in our life. Um, so, you know, but where I try to push myself is it would be super easy if I was just like, oh, I'm grateful for my husband today, but I try not to let myself off the hook that easily. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, what is it about him that I'm grateful for? You know, the fact that he got up and made breakfast or woke my daughter up so I didn't have to. I mean, it can be little things. It doesn't have to be huge things. But I think allowing our mind to focus on those good moments and really being specific is helpful and nice. And honestly, when I do that, sometimes like he's already gone for work when I get up. And so then it's a nice reminder of him during the day. And it gets me excited to see him at night, which is like a different practice. But there is even research that getting yourself excited to see someone is even your spouse, like every day can impact because then when he gets home, I don't want to rush to like unload the stress of the day on him. I want to (laughs) greet him excitedly and be excited to see him. And guys, this isn't every day. So, you know, (laughs) don't get me wrong. I unload plenty of stress on him. But these are like sort of the best practices. And so remembering that there is a lot to be thankful for in our lives. And sometimes for me, it'll be the fact that I have a brain, right? Like that I'm, I have the ability to think critically, maybe something that I'm thankful for. So it can be basic things like, wow, I could, I fed myself today. And that 
is super important or, you know, that I had space to read a book, right? Like the little things that we take for granted. And suddenly when we take time to point them out and, and record them and I like writing. And so that's the second piece is I write mine down. It's also fun to look back at them and sometimes randomly remember, you know, what you were thinking of in that space. It's, so it's a, it's a way of journaling, which a lot of people do. I don't journal. I always aspire to, but I'm not good at that. So for me, it's as simple as writing it on my planner for the day. Like I just start the day by writing three things. I love those tips because I think our brain defaults and makes it really easy for us to pull out the bad things, right? Like from the moment you wake up, there can be any number of things you pull from that are stressing you out or just things that are on your mind. And we don't even really have to think about the fact that those things are on our mind. Whereas being intentional and kind of trying to replace or even sometimes override the weight of some of those negative things by being purposeful about saying, you know what, I am thankful for these three things, even if other things are going on, even if those other things are outside of my control, I can come up with a list of at least three things that I truly am grateful and thankful for. And it kind of just shifts your whole mind from being in that space of the negative or even in the zone of potentially going negative. So I love that simple, easy, won't take you more than a couple of minutes. So an easy habit that you can adopt right now. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Matt from Lawmatics and then my conversation with Martin. Hey, everyone. This is Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. And today I'm joined by Matt Spiegel from Lawmatics. For those of you who don't know, Lawmatics is a powerful CRM built specifically for attorneys. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So we're talking about client relationship managers or customer relationship managers in the legal sphere. From your perspective, what what does a CRM need to be able to do in the legal sector? Yeah, so it's pretty specific for the legal sector, in my opinion. And, and a lot of people have different ideas or connotations that they associate with CRM just from history, right? Mm-hmm. The, the term CRM has been around for a long time in the, in the tech world. But as it relates to legal, I think it's a pretty specific set of tools, right? And it, it accomplishes a specific set of circumstances. And, and the way I look at it is, look, I mean, the CRM at its at its core is a customer relationship manager. It's all about that relationship with your customer. But it's not just about keeping track of that relationship. It's really about furthering that relationship and actually creating engagements and and activity around these contacts that you have at your firm, which are mainly clients, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, what's really critical in a CRM is for law firm, obviously, is the intake side of things. But it's not just tracking the intake and and being able to facilitate some intake actions. It's really being able to automate intake. I think that is really critical. Mm. Uh, When you look at a modern CRM, if you can't really automate all of your processes and tasks, uh, it's really not worth it, in my opinion. Right. The flip side of it, and I think the side that is most neglected and not thought of when it comes to CRM, which is maybe the most important, is the marketing side of it and the marketing automation side of it. And this, this comes to not just tracking where your leads and contacts come from. So really understanding what marketing efforts, what initiatives that you're running are working really well and and which aren't, but also being able to initiate marketing campaigns, things like email drip campaigns, newsletters. If you look at uh, almost 100% of law firms, majority of their business comes from referrals. And that's referrals from past clients, 
things like that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing anything to nurture those past clients, you're not going to get those referrals. So that side of the marketing is really critical. And a good CRM is going to be able to handle all of that for you. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm not, you know, pushing forward a major, um, you know, television or radio or Facebook marketing campaign, having that CRM that can handle um, marketing to my clients that exist already is still a essential thing. Yes, I think it's critically essential. All of us are used to being marketed to this way, right? You know, we buy something on Amazon, we buy something on a website, we, you know, whatever e-commerce platform we use or any other SaaS product, you know, software as a service product you use, mm -hmm. you get emails, right? You get email follow-up saying, you know, how was your experience? Or, you know, did you enjoy this? Or leave us a review? Or we'd love to have you come back and check out this other product. And it's the same thing for a law firm. They need to have that kind of marketing in place. Mm -hmm. And that that's not just for after the case is over and they are a former client. This is also for during the intake, right? The follow-up and the email marketing and, and text message marketing and things like that, they are critical pieces to your intake process as well. What I always ask law firms when they're coming to Lawmatics and looking at it for an intake perspective is, you know, they might say, oh, well, our intake is pretty good. And my question to them is, do you convert 100% of the leads that come in the door? Right. And if the answer is no, then it means that you have some room for improvement. And there are things that you can do um, you know, via automation and, and thinking about things in terms of marketing that will help you increase that conversion rate. Certainly. And, and that's an interesting point of the automation not necessarily just being something that makes my life easier as an attorney, that makes my you know mundane tasks go away, but automation that makes me respond to a potential client more quickly with more pointed information. Um, for example, with Lawmatics, you could have you know a form that you put on your website. Somebody fills out that form. That form is connected with Lawmatics, and then an email can go out directly to that person that says, "Here's some frequently asked questions" or or something of that nature. Yes, and so. That's a great point because you also understand, and, and I think most lawyers see that, you know, responsiveness is critical. If you're trying to grow your business, especially, you know, data that we have available to us now suggests that if you do not respond to a new lead who comes into your website or calls your law firm within the first minute or two, your chances of securing that business go down significantly. Mm -hmm. And you are, you know, you're a person, you it's, it's impossible for you to be able to follow up with every lead that comes in instantaneously. Right. You need technology to help you. And that's where, you know, a, a good CRM platform, again, is not just going to help you track these things. It's going to help you automate the process of engaging with, with, with these people. Right, right. Well, and I think, again, that kind of goes to the, the intake aspect. Um, Lawmatics is is talking about the top of the funnel as well. You know, you guys are able to help create or, or, you know, people can automate marketing campaigns that are more about educating people that have just had small initial contact and getting those people to where they're ready to hire the attorney, not just that intake aspect where somebody wants to hire you, you respond to them very quickly, and then they do hire you. You know, Lawmatics can handle the stuff well back before that. Correct. As well. It can that top top of the funnel engagement, understanding where your leads are coming from, whether you're doing robust marketing or not, being able to identify mm -hmm. where your leads are coming from is critical to any business. If you're going to go spend any money to try to acquire new leads, you need to know what dollars are working. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you're just throwing money down a black hole. Um, so you need to be right. able to measure 
all of these things. And Lawmatics helps you measure that. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you very much for, for joining me today. I appreciate your insight on this. And if somebody wants to learn more about Lawmatics, they can go to www.lawmatics.com. And then right there, as they open the page up, there's a button, big button that says, get a demo. And uh, I would suggest that people go ahead and do that. Thanks again, Matt. Yes. Thank you, Zach. My name is Martin Lindstrom. I guess my story is very different from most people because when I was a kid at the age of 11, I started up my own Legoland in the backyard of my mom and dad's garden. And I was serious about this. I was taking about a year on creating this amazing place with canals and with mountains and houses. And when I finally opened the doors to my Legoland, only two people showed up, (laughs) my mom and my dad. And that was really the lowest point of my career, I have to admit. So I was in panic. I went down to a local print office and uh, I persuaded them to put an ad in the paper. And two days later, I had 131 visitors. Only problem was that visitor number 130 and visitor number 131 were the lawyers from Lego (laughs) suing me. They said it was their brand. I said, no, it's my brand. And I think the rest is history. I started to work for Lego. But that's actually my first encounter with a lawyer. Oh, my goodness. I love it. And I love the entrepreneurial spirit and being able to pivot and think about, okay, my initial door opening didn't work. How do I get some more people to come down here and visit? That really is a great story of being a business owner and having to think about different ways that you overcome those obstacles. So tell us a little bit about where you are today. I love that as the framing story. What kind of things are you working on today? Today, I help uh, Fortune 100 companies across the world doing transformation. Lego is one of them. Lowe's is another one. Maersk, the largest shipping company in the world. All those companies typically knock on my door or our door when they are either in a crisis or when they've lost contact with reality. And guess what our first focus is? Our first focus is really to remove uh, the lack of common sense because quite often companies are haunted by a rules, regulations, compliance, guidelines, all that stuff, which is creating almost like a stretch jacket on them, meaning that their entrepreneurial spirit is gone, meaning that the degree of innovation is falling, meaning that their contact with the consumer or the customers is just you know, slowly slipping away. What are those clues for you when you first start working with a company that lead you to think that there's a problem with common sense here? Is it something from employees? Is it something from leadership? What are some of those early indications that maybe we've gone a little bit too far with things that may have been well-intentioned to start with, but are actually missing that common sense factor? Well, Laura, let me tell you a story. Um, About a year ago, I was in Miami. I checked into this hotel. I wanted to watch television. So I tried to switch on the television using my remote. There's just one problem. Those two on buttons on the remote control, almost like the second on button would be extra supernatural on, right? So I fiddled around with this remote, managed to switch on the television. After around four minutes, I watched television and then I wanted to switch off the television. And I just couldn't do it because there was two off buttons on this remote control, two arrows going up, five down. And when I tried to press the first off button, all the lights 
switched off in my room. And the second one was the air conditioning, but the television kept running. So I ended up with my bum in the air, unplugging the minibar and the television. And that's really my story. Now here comes part two of my story. Believe it or not, three months later, I'm sitting on a plane to uh, LA and I'm sitting next to this wonderful gentleman and he's asking me where I'm from. And I'm explaining, I'm working with culture transformation around the world. And I says, where are you from? He says, well, I'm from this company you never heard about before, I'm sure. And he says the name. And I'm saying to him, you must be bloody kidding. I know you guys, you produce remote controls, right? And he looked at me like a day in the headlight. I say, what the heck went wrong with you guys? And of course, this guy is completely perplexed. So I'm pulling up my PowerPoint show and I have a photo of this remote <laughs> controller and saying, what is this all about? And he kind of beams like light in the dark. He says, listen, we had problems with responsibilities internally. What happened was back in the days, the TiVo guys, they were entering the space of the Netflix guys on this remote control. And we call that inventory. And everyone had fights about who should get what on this remote. So we separated everything into zones. One zone was Netflix. Another one was TiVo. A third one was recording. Fourth one was light. And I said, yeah. And then you have five sets of keyboard numbers on it. You have two off buttons and on buttons. He said, yes, but it was brilliant. We all knew exactly what to do. And I said, exactly that's probably right, but I don't know how to switch on the television anymore as a consumer. And that is really the essence of the problem. They increasingly started to see the world from inside out rather than from outside in. And you will notice this almost like a bridge. If you're building a powerful bridge and you're starting to see cracks in the corner of the bridge, you know there's something structurally going on which is not good. You see this from a consumer point of view. You see that when you are, for example, you have your credit card rejected because it's expired, but actually the money's on the account and those money were transferred, but they're not transferred. And now they tell you you have a bad credit rating because those numbers were not updated in the right way. These are the points of view where you forget to see the world from outside in, i.e. from the consumer's point of view, and rather you see it from your own legal point of view and that's where we quite often notice the problem begins. That reminds me a lot. My my first job after school was working at an insurance brokerage. And one of the things they trained me in the first couple of days that when we received an application for life insurance, we were to manually enter it into the computer, scan it into the computer as well, and then also fax it. And it, all of these things were going to the same place. And I said, okay, well, if we scan it, doesn't that kind of cover everything, right? Like we don't have to fax it if we get the confirm that it's been scanned. And it was, well, we want to make sure that the company gets it. So we do it in these three different <laughs> ways. So my entire job was dealing with the same paper three times over every single day. And it was, just, it was baffling, like, but, but that was the way it was done. Right. And I think sometimes it is that outside perspective that you probably bring to companies as well to help them kind of see where they haven't even noticed that those kinds of things have developed. Do you find that there's common patterns between the big companies you work with and even the lack of common sense that sometimes can impact small businesses? Well, first of all, uh, this is a fascinating observation I made when I wrote the book, The Minister of Common Sense, um, that the larger company uh, you're dealing with, the more bureaucracy. But there's another thing happening as well. The larger the company is, the less empathy the company has. Empathy, remember, is the ability to see the world 
from another person's perspective, either see it or feel it. And if I was to define what common sense is, well, it is to see things as they are and doing things as they ought to be done. Or said in another way, it is to treat consumers and employees as they themselves would like to be treated. So empathy and common sense are very linked. And here's the issue. If you are a startup, the difference is between a startup and a big company that empathy is very high. So why is that? Let me tell you a story. Just recently, some years ago, two crazy kids are sitting in a dorm room smoking weeds. And they're off their head. One guy is taking a photo of them. It's super embarrassing. It's put out in the wires on the social media. The day after, the parents are furious, of course. And the kid is saying to his friend, I wish we could retract that photo. I wish it was self-destructive. Now, guess what? That kid was the founder of Snapchat. It's a $50 billion company today. He felt what the pain is like when you suddenly experience something where you're out of your comfort zone. Now, as long as you as a founder are present, that feeling is what's driving you to enhance and fine-tune the product or the service. But as soon as that founder is slipping away, is side-graded, or perhaps even worse, they forget to stay in contact with how the consumers evolve, the company become more and more obsessed with protecting itself. I call that an immune system. It's a defense mechanism for chains. And suddenly we're rejecting everything. And that is what I'm seeing as the, the correlation between both empathy a common sense, a lack of, and the size of the company. The smaller company, the more common sense. But it's not something you should take for granted because you will notice if you've been in the business for a very long time, you start to see the world through a certain pair of eyes or glasses. And that means you kind of forget questioning either how the world has evolved, like what you experience with your facts, or even worse, you forget to see the world from a consumer point of view. Mm-hmm. How do we continue to stay in touch? Because by nature, you know, small businesses will always grow to at least some extent. That's a goal for many of these startups and founders is to grow something to the point where it gets bigger. And you mentioned that this is the part at which it becomes really challenging to see more of the common sense. What kinds of things should company owners or employees or leadership team members be aware of to stay in touch with the consumer, to make sure that there hasn't been too much of a swing to that end of the spectrum to protect the company rather than including that empathy. Some of the best lawyers I've ever met have a good mixture of understanding the law, but also uh, being able to see the world through common sense. To apply common sense to a law also means your ability to see the world from different points of view. And and the best way for me to illustrate that is with a major bank. So one of our clients is one of the largest banks in the world. And I was spending time in Asia to understand how come the customer satisfaction was pretty low. Now, here's the case. Uh, Whenever a small startups would apply for a loan, they would call up the reps, the relationship managers. They would look at this business. Of course, they had a bonus attached to lending, so they were really keen on creating a loan. They would go back to risk, and risk would say, no way, we're not going to accept that. And that was, that was really pretty frustrating because the clients which have hoped to get this loan didn't understand why they rejected, and of course, the relationship manager was really highly demotivated. So here's what we said to them. 
why don't we take the risk manager with us out with the relationship manager, out to the small businesses? Of course, they were screaming and shouting, we can't do that, it's illegal, it's all this stuff. No, it wasn't actually. There was no law saying you couldn't do that as long as you keep a, a nice answering distance. So we did that. We had the risk people along with the uh, relationship managers going out to the small businesses. Now, here's what happened. As they were out in those small businesses, talking to the owners, talking to the staff on the ground, they actually got a really good sense of what this is all about, something they would never have been able to assess through a spreadsheet. And as an outcome, they actually approved many more loans than normally. But here's the really intriguing thing. They approved different loans. They approved different things. So the loan rate went up. But actually, later on, two years later on, the risk that they had to, to, to carry through was much lower, we saw. In fact, we doubled the amount of loans. So that shows for me the importance of seeing the world from a different point of view. I think the best lawyers, in my point of view, understands the views from others. That means if you're going to handle a case, if you really can put yourself in the shoes of that customer, that consumer, that company, whatever situation it is, and see and feel the experience from that point of view, you both understand the rational arguments, but you also understand the emotional arguments. And remember, all my work in the past, and I've written a lot about this topic, shows that 85% of everything you do every day is subconscious. It's irrational. Right? It's everything from knocking on wood to pressing harder on your remote control when it's flat for batteries. Deeply irrational stuff. You do that, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so here we go. We are deeply irrational. We fundamentally believe in the, in, the, in the eyes of the law, we believe everyone is rational. They're not. And that means the better we are at seeing the world from an irrational point of view, the better we understand who we're dealing with. So what I would do if I was running a smaller law company is also sometimes to force myself into the shoes of other functions, either within the company, for example, your function, Laura, when you began your job sending faxes away to understand how stupid that is, but also to go into other functions. I'll give you an example. So in another bank uh, we're working with, I noticed they had more than 62,000 different rules in the company. I, I mean, they had such a big rule book that they had an index, a separate index for the rule book. So a book covering the book, covering the law, right? So I said to them, when did you last delete a law and a rule in this company? And they looked at me and said, never. I said, so every piece of rule you are establishing is always valid. No matter the new technology is coming out, whatever. They said, no, of course not. I said, so why don't you do it? And then I got a hold of the lady sitting there producing a lot of those. And I said it to her. She said, listen, I receive a bonus if I produce a rule, but if I delete one, I don't receive a bonus. And in fact, it would be seen as me not justifying my job if I delete my own work. So it doesn't make sense. Common sense was not there. It was not built into the DNA of the company. Now, I first discovered that by spending time in her job, looking at all the stuff she did, why I asked that question, and suddenly we realized we actually had to change the entire approach in that bank to actually start deleting rules. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's a great way to look at things from a different perspective and see where the motivations are really at. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll continue talking a little bit more about how you can make sure that common sense is factored into your business. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with easy-to-use cross-platform snippets. Text Expander makes quick work of mundane, repetitive tasks 
so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to needless text entry, spelling and grammar errors, and inconsistency in your messaging. When you use Text Expander, you can say the same thing, the right thing, in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. These versatile snippets are better than copy and paste, and they're better than scripts and templates. They work across devices and platforms to allow you to maximize your efficiency while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ Marketing, an agency that believes in affordable and reliable marketing for solo practitioners and small law firms. With ESQ Marketing, you'll work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts, and there are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with and no lost-in-translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's episode comes from Postali a full-service legal marketing agency for law firms. The attorney-client relationship is the cornerstone of the legal profession. Just like you put the client's needs first, you deserve a marketing agency that does the same to grow your practice. Postali works with law firms nationwide and is the only full-service legal marketing agency that can call itself a marketing fiduciary. That's because, at Postali, the impressive results they achieve come from always putting your law firm's financial interests above their own. Imagine a relationship with a legal marketing agency that treats your investment as they would their own dollars, without hollow SEO promises, no commission-based upselling, and who won't work with your competitors. Postali is the marketing agency for legal professionals looking for 100% transparency and genuine guidance from a real marketing partner. To learn more about the benefits of working with a marketing fiduciary, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Contact them for a free consult and mention this podcast. Okay, so one of the examples that came up in your book that I loved is this idea of projects that get started and then only after the fact we realize they have bad or unexpected unintended consequences. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of process do we engage in before launching a new project or service or product to see that we've at least kind of thought about some of the ways that that might play out? I know you can't predict everything, um, but this seems to happen quite a lot. So I was hoping to hear your insight on that. The most important thing to do in my mind is to dial up your degree of empathy. And I think the best way to illustrate that um, is to take you on board on a plane. So one of our clients is Swiss International Airlines. It's a major airline company in Europe. And uh, they wanted to be the leader in economy class. And I said to them, listen, let's just find out what is the real reason why people are flying and what makes you different. would I have been an ordinary consultant? I'm pretty sure after doing research, you would have concluded that people in economy class that want to have better leg rooms, uh, better catering food, uh, perhaps better entertainment on board. 
But what we realized was very different. We realized that the number one factor associated with flying on economy class is anxiety. So what do I mean about that? Anxiety getting to the airport. Anxiety waiting in TSA lines where we have COVID around. Anxiety waiting on the line when you're boarding. Who will you sit next to? Anxiety about flying or getting out late. All these things are really encapsulating the feeling of what it feels like flying, anxiety. So I said to them, your goal is not to create you know, one inch better leg room. It's not going to make the difference. It is to remove anxiety. So here's what we did. I first did two things. The first thing was I got a job. I started to work as a purser on board on the plane. I literally was serving food on board on the plane to understand the view from a passenger's and from a purser's point of view. And what I realized through this process was by few introducing few tricks on board on the plane, you actually can remove anxiety. One of the things I realized was why don't we change the perception of time? You see, anxiety is to arrive late or is to know when you're not arriving. Um, so I said, if we are Swiss international airlines, we want to be seen as the accurate number one Swiss company on, in, in the world arriving on time. So we started to train the pilots and the captains on the board of the plane. And here's a true announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board on Swiss International Airlines. I'm pleased to announce that we're just about to descend into JF Kennedy's airport in around 40 minutes from now on. Now, I have some good news. I've been in contact with ground handling, which are informing me there's only 17 minutes waiting time for you to get up to immigration. And even better, the luggage handling manager tells me that there's only 12 minutes waiting time for you to get your suitcase. And by the way, I've been on Waze, and Waze shows me that the traffic conditions into Manhattan is only 49 minutes at the moment. So when you get on ground, you'll actually be back home in around two hours from now on. I hope you'll enjoy your flight with Swiss International Airlines. Now, that little message, we started to play that on the plane. It's true, all of it. And people immediately said, oh, I feel I can trust these people. It was a little piece of insight. But we went further. As I was sitting on the plane, we were disembarking with all these different passengers sitting on the plane and the cleaning staff went on board. We noticed a little thing. We noticed that they always would take off the armrest on board on the plane, clean them with a vacuum cleaner, take them down. And I said to them, why do we take these armrests down? Why do we keep them up? So I had one of my team members crawling in above the armrest versus crawling in without the armrest being locked down. And guess what? For every aisle, we saved around six seconds. That means 17 minutes for entire plane. That means by not taking those armrests down, we actually could do a turnaround time substantially quicker. That meant the Swiss jumped from number six to number four in Europe in terms of being on time. It was a very small insight which you learn from seeing the world from another point of view. And that is your message. The message is if you want to succeed with the product, simulate it through the eyes of the consumer. That's a great thing. And we talk about this in one of our recent conferences that we did. We had people sort of auditing the onboarding process of what it's like to be a client, right? So we had people on the team that were calling the lawyer's offices who were at the conference to see what is the experience of a client? Am I being told information that's accurate? Am I being told what my next step in my case is going to be? Am I going to hear back from the lawyer today? Is that going to be tomorrow? So it's always a good opportunity to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. So you mentioned in your book, I want to just touch on each of these briefly, you name six common roadblocks to common sense. Can you give us a couple of examples of what some of those are? I think the first roadblock comes down to an experiment which was done around two years ago. 
there was chickens that were put into a cage and stocked into the cage for half a year. And one day the gates were open to the beautiful green grass. The sun was shining, the birds were singing and the chickens went out. And guess what? After 30 seconds, they went straight back in again. I call that the chicken cage syndrome. It is the fear of change. And what we've learned is that no matter how much the intentions are good in terms of changing, people will always be stopped in that chicken cage. So this is one phenomenon you are dealing with, the chicken cage uh, syndrome. The other phenomenon I think you are dealing with is the argument, which is we always done it that way. And we always done it that way does not mean it's a law. <laughs> but what I would always do is to challenge that by saying, you always did it that way, but things have moved on. Let's just try to look at it in a new way, just for fun, and simulate what the consequences are. And here's the second thing I've learned. In order to do that, when you make change happening in your company, don't work with an agenda which is two years from now, we'd like to see the change happening. Introduce it through what I call a 90-day intervention. So what is a 90-day intervention? A 90-day intervention is that you find a small thing you want to change, and as you change it, you immediately push it through the system, and you see a change within 90 days. Here's the issue. If you wait too long, things will collapse. Let's go back to the chickens. If you, for example, have four chickens sitting in four cages in a circle, you have a square in the middle, they're all pointing to the same point in the square, and I open the gates and I put the corn in the very middle of that square, so far away from the cages, what would the chickens do? Well, they'll look at the corn and they'll say to each other, hmm, that's really far away. And they will look at each other and they'll say, do you dare to do it? No, I don't dare to do it. Do you dare to do it? And the thinking process will be something like, I'm not measured to go out and take risk. What is my KPIs, by the way? Do I receive a bonus <laughs> for changing things? And by the way, my manager, he will probably be fired soon and then I'm standing there like an idiot. So they will go back into the cage. So here's what you do. You always place the corn straight outside the cage, meaning just a little bit further away so you can eat it. Everyone can look at each other and say, my God, that really was powerful. And then you take another corn and another corn and you slowly do the transformation. That little piece of corn is what I call the 90-day interventions. It's 90 days where you set up a small pilot and you immediately make a change which you can measure. And this is an important thing, Laura. This is number three. If you celebrate this in a huge way internally, that success, that outcome, wow, it really was amazing. My gosh, we're saving money. This is amazing. People are really happy. The customers love it. Celebrate the hell out of it inside the organization. Why is that? Because it's cement the behavioral change. So you're not going back to the default behavior, which is super important because that's the reason why transformation fails because people are not justifying the change anymore. They can't justify it in the head. So it's a smart, smart community to go back and do the same old, same old, right? Oh my goodness. So much good material here. I love the premise that all of this comes from. When you're listening to this episode, the new book, The Ministry of Common Sense, is being released this very week. So you will be able to go ahead and check that out and get a copy of it for yourself. Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your outstanding insights. We'll make sure to get a link to your book in the show notes as well. Laura, what a pleasure. And listen, make sure that we recover with this common sense. It's desperately <laughs> needed in our world right now, I have to tell you. I could not agree more. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. 
Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.